Welcome to Arizona Her Story, a special series on Valley 101 for Women's History Month. I'm Kaylee Monahan, lead producer and host of this series. Our state has a long and romanticized history in what we call the Old West. Cowboys and native tribes, miners and immigrants, frontier laws and bold thieves. The era is portrayed with a swagger that arguably inspired John Wayne. Today we are diving into that lore and unmasking the truth of one of Arizona's most notorious criminals, a bandit queen who was larger than life. Today, I'm passing the mic to our intern and fellow producer, Thomas France, who has the story of the infamous Pearl Heart. There are a lot of ways to make history. From being the first black woman to start and own her own newspaper, like Ara Hackett, to the achievements of Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. But there are other, less socially acceptable ways to make a splash. For some women, the allure of adventure, danger, and crime held an appeal over the traditional roles they were expected to play. When we look at the criminals of the Wild West, we likely think of the classic Western movies. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. The men in black hats, more likely to kill someone over a card game, or rob a widow and her young children. The equally rugged lawmen, who were sent in to bring justice and order. Good versus Evil, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday versus the Clantons and McLowrys. But the Wild West was a lot more complicated than those movies would suggest. People who turned to a life of crime did so for a variety of reasons, just as they do to this day. While criminal women were, and are, nothing new, those out west shocked the country and the world. One woman famous in territorial days for participating in one remarkable crime was Pearl Hart. Born in the north woods of Ontario, Canada, she eventually found her way to the Grand Canyon State. Along the way, she made quite the name for herself. What's interesting about Pearl is that it was hard to separate fact from fiction in what was written and said about Pearl at the time. And getting to the truth, 123 years later, 
has been difficult as well. I reached out to the man who literally wrote the book on Pearl, attorney and Wild West author John Bosenecker. His research has made him the expert on the life and myths of Pearl. The problem with the traditional stories of Pearl Hart are that some huge percentage of them are just false. And part of that resulted from her own false statements to cover up her identity to avoid embarrassing her mother. But she did have a very long and colorful career before she ever ended up in Arizona territory. To truly understand Pearl Hart and her life of crime, we have to go back to the beginning, to her life in Canada. For the longest time, the only details we had about Pearl came directly from her in interviews she conducted after her incarceration. Turns out, her tall tales extended all the way to her own name. Her real name was Lily Naomi Davy, and it took me a lot of research over a number of years just to figure that out. And once I figured out her real name, then it sort of opened the floodgates to uncovering her real life. John had to search for months, looking online at old newspapers, until he found one where Pearl admitted that her brother's name was Henry Davy. From there, a Canadian census for around the time of Pearl's birth showed a Davy family with all the right names of known siblings. Before we continue, a quick warning. Pearl's early life was filled with unpleasant experiences, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. She would always say that my father is a worthless wretch. When Pearl was only about eight years old, he attempted to rape a 14-year-old girl in a remote area of Ontario. The girl's dog came running out of the woods and attacked Albert Davy and saved the girl from rape. He was a convicted and sentenced to a prison term. And so this was the kind of upbringing she had. Lily, Pearl Hart's legal name, and her sisters unfortunately bore the brunt of their father's evil. They became sexualized at an early age, and from what John told me, they all engaged in prostitution as early as 13 or 14 years old. And that was just the start. Their mother was abused as well. She finally left the father. The family ended up in Rochester, New York, which was really kind of a disaster because in the remote areas of Canada, there were less opportunities for getting into trouble. And the daughters are all extremely attractive. The brothers are all very handsome and daring. And the children, um, who are all teenagers at the time, all but one engaged in all kinds of criminal activity. They broke out of jails, they stole, they hopped on freight trains. And so this was her childhood. 
By the time Pearl was about 15 or 16, she found herself in relationships with men double her age. She and her sister Katie wanted nothing but to escape the cycle of abuse and assault. And they found a way. and her, her sister steal a ride on a freight train and to avoid unwanted sexual advances they don their brother's clothing they cut their hair and they pass as boys then they end up in minnesota in this uh, little town there's a photograph taken of them which is lost but the wood engraving shows them in boys clothes and when they were finally captured after committing a bunch of thefts this ended up in newspapers all over the Midwest. Thanks to the slow communication of the late 1800s, no one later would connect these series of robberies to the woman made famous in Arizona. From her stint in Minnesota, Pearl made her way to Chicago. She had disastrous relationships with men nearly all her life, and her first husband was no exception. A guy named Dan Bandman, who came from a very prominent family. His father was a very prominent mining engineer and railroad engineer who built a lot of mines and railroads in South America. His uncle was one of the most famous uh, Shakespearean actors in America. Instead of avoiding men like her father, she ended up with men exactly like her father. He was addicted to heroin. He was addicted to opium. Uh, he got her addicted to heroin and opium. So finally she fled from Chicago in 1893. And she ended up in Colorado working in a brothel. Many listening might question why Pearl would choose to work in a brothel if she was trying to escape that life. Let's add some context. For a lot of women around this time, there weren't a lot of options outside of marriage, especially in the rough and tumble western United States. Prostitution and brothels provided women a level of independence many may not have ever seen before. Adam Conover, in his series Adam Ruins Everything, brought in author and historian Jan Mackel Collins to talk about it. So it is true that the prostitution industry could be a very dangerous one because there was disease, domestic violence, drug abuse, but prostitutes were pioneers just like the men they served. In fact, a lot of prostitutes and madams were astute businesswomen. Being a prostitute or a madam could actually give women more financial freedom here in the West than their Eastern counterparts. And that could even lead to a measure of political equality and influence in the communities where they served these men. Many of these women were responsible for building the towns around their brothels and using their influence to enact social services, such as Madame Millie of New Mexico, who put local girls through college. Prostitution offered a path for Pearl to take back some level of control to her life. Incidentally, 
John told me it was here that she took on the name she's known by today. And she adopted the name Carl Hart because one of the madams that she worked for at Buffalo, New York, was a very famous madam who's eventually had a tragic ending where she was killed by her pimp slash lover. But her name was Pearl Hart. And she took that name mostly because her mother was very respectable. The mother was just an abused woman, very loving woman, trying her best to raise her children in poverty. And so Pearl did not want to bring disgrace upon her mother. And so she was known as Little Pearl in Tucson. Sometime in 1883, Pearl made her way to Arizona. She settled first in Phoenix in what is called Block 41. This was the red light district, and it could be found just south of what is now the main downtown area of the city. It's unclear how long she stayed in the valley, but we know that she eventually traveled south. In Tucson, She's in and out of jail a few separate times. Once for being in an opium den. Another time, she was dragged into court with train robber Billy Stiles. Billy, sometimes known as William Larkin, and his friend Bert Alvord, ran a fairly successful gang of train robbers, all while disguised as lawmen in order to throw off investigations. The newspapers did not explain why Pearl and Billy were sentenced to jail, but both received short jail terms. Shortly after this, Pearl would hatch the scheme for which newspapers would dub her the Bandit Queen. She says that she gets a letter that her mother is uh, ill which may or may not be true because the mother lived for many years after this. According to some accounts, Pearl worked once again as a prostitute, this time in Globe, Arizona. She'd hooked up with another guy named Joe Boot, who was a former shoe repair guy from the Midwest. It was 1899. Pearl Hart cut her hair, dressed as a man, and she and Boot robbed a stagecoach in the mountainous area between Globe and Florence. The road itself no longer exists today. Of all the myths that exist about Hart, this is one event that is most widely known. The accounts of the robbery are generally fairly accurate because it was extensively reported in the newspapers. Just a pretty standard stage holdup. But to have a woman rob a stagecoach, uh, very unusual. It happened once in California in about 1873 before that. But there's only a, maybe two or three stage robberies in the entire history of the American West in which a woman was involved. Pearl rode her horse 
and handled her guns like any of her criminal male colleagues. Possibly better, according to John. Pearl later said, I just don't understand men. They carry these guns, but they're afraid to use them. And she also criticized her partner, Joe Boot, as saying his hands were shaking like leaves. If I didn't have more guts than he did, I'd go bury myself. They didn't make off with much. Accounts vary, but they only got between $300 and $450. The robbery itself went off without a hitch. The getaway? Not so much. One witness identified her as Little Pearl from Tucson. He knew her as Little Pearl in Globe, but he concealed his name, and his name doesn't appear, and certainly didn't give any interviews to the newspapers because he'd have to explain how is it that you happen to know Little Pearl, a notorious prostitute. So in any event, she was immediately uh, recognized, even though she wore a mask, he recognized her and knew it was a woman. The media went wild. A headline in Phoenix said, We have a highway woman. And they were about to get an even more wild story to write about. Authorities captured her after a hunt across the desert, as she tried to get to Benson, east of Tucson, and the rail center there, to get her out of Arizona territory. Instead, she's captured about 10 miles north of Benson. She's returned to Florence to stand trial, but they don't have any facilities there for a woman prisoner, so they put her in the Tucson jail. She doesn't stay there long. She seduces a jail trustee, who's like a trusted prisoner who has access to the jail. He breaks her out of the Tucson lockup. They flee to New Mexico territory. Lawman George Scarborough catches Pearl and the other unnamed convict in Deming, New Mexico. She is brought back to Arizona, convicted, and sent to the penitentiary in Yuma. There, she enjoyed a level of freedom that few others before or since can claim. Many have said that she seduced the warden in order to get a cushy cell with a courtyard where she could entertain reporters. But John tells me, this is another myth. In fact, all the photographs we have of her in prison were from the Pima County holding cells where she was held in Tucson before her trial. I wrote a book about Bob Paul, who was next to Wyatt Earp. He was the most famous lawman of Arizona Territory. And he was the guy in charge of the jail in Tucson. He felt sorry for Pearl Hart and here, He's got this young girl, the same age as his daughters. She just wasn't the kind of desperado he was used to. So he gave her all kinds of freedom. So instead of locking her in the jail, 
He put her in a room in the courthouse that made it easy for the jail trustee to break through into her little cell, so-called, and break her loose. And Bob Paul is the one that allowed her to be photographed with unloaded firearms in the Pima County Jail. The Browning Kodak camera had just been invented or put on the market about four or five years before. So suddenly, amateur photography took off in the 1890s. And these amateur photographers would flock into the jail and take these photos, and thank goodness they did, or we wouldn't know what she looked like. One of the other myths involves her release from Yuma prison. She was sentenced to five years, but only served 18 months. Why? The myth says scandal. The biggest myth about her in Yuma is the train robber Billy Stiles gets her pregnant in Yuma and the governor, to avoid a scandal, gives her a pardon. And that's not what happened at all because Billy Stiles wasn't in Yuma at the same time that she was there. So there's no way he could have got her pregnant. After Yuma, Pearl moved to Kansas City, Missouri to be with her sister, Katie. They both get arrested several times for smaller things, but before long, Pearl reforms her ways. She has a daughter and a couple of grandchildren. Eventually, she moves to what is now East Los Angeles. Around 1960, a TV show would feature Pearl Hart claiming that she committed one of the last stagecoach robberies. But that's one of the last myths about her life. There were stagecoach robberies in Arizona as late as about 1910, when they got what we call today a bus, was called then an auto stage. And those came in about 1910, 1915, and quickly put the horse-drawn stages out of business. She died in 1935 in what is now East Los Angeles, just a few miles from Hollywood, where they churned out movie after movie. Never knowing that the woman once hailed as the bandit queen lived quietly as a grandmother. Thank you for listening to Arizona Her Story on Valley 101. This podcast is a production by the Arizona Republic 
and azcentral.com. Be sure to join us each week this month as we profile incredible women from Arizona. For now, be sure to like, rate, and review our show. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, share it with a friend. If you have any questions about Metro Phoenix, submit them online to Valley 101 at azcentral.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at azcpodcasts. A special thanks to John Bosenecker for his expertise on the life and myths of Pearl Hart. If you're interested in hearing more from him, he'll be speaking at the Arizona History Convention, being held April 13th through the 15th. Tune in next week with producer Amanda Luberto for another story about a woman who changed our state. For Valley 101, I'm producer Thomas France. We'll see you next week. Better step it up if you wanna play